the Westlop Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skuskowsbo. Gentlemen, it's game week. Oh, 44 oh, hours! <laughs> Christmas, Christmas came extra early this year uh, and I am excited. Yeah, um, as we record this on Tuesday night, uh, 48 hours, well, 46 hours, I guess now, 45 hours before we kick off. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's upon us. You know, we've, we've slogged through the summer doldrums. We previewed all of the other teams in the Big Ten. We previewed the other non-conference opponents on the Northwestern schedule. And now it's time to really kind of take a deep look at you know, what to expect from the Cats this year. Um, you know, the initial two deep is out. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. But, uh, you know, John, defensively, you know, we, we t- we've talked a lot about kind of reference to the front seven is just going to be, I mean, so much is back on the front seven. Obviously, losing Tyler Lancaster is a loss, but everyone else is back. Yeah, I mean, you're right. And the short of it is uh, we're bringing up most of last year back, and last year we had a very good defense. Um, that's the short way to say it. The long way to say it's a little bit more complicated, I guess. Um, basically, Northwestern was a bona fide member in good standing of the best defensive conference in football, despite having a god-awful pass defense in terms of yards given up. Um, in fact... We were the number 14 pass defense in the Big Ten. But this is why, we've all talked about this before, any college football fan will tell, will tell you it's better to be good against the run than the pass. For comparison, Minnesota had the number three pass defense in the conference last year, and their defense was crappy in the Big Ten last year. And on the flip side, Michigan State had a mediocre pass defense and one of the best overall defenses in the country. We are much more like Michigan State than we are like Minnesota. And we'll probably cover this a little bit later, but let's just say to an extent, especially as it comes to Mike Hankwitz, pass defense is something you can choose to be bad at. Um, and we'll kind of talk a little bit about that later. But with all of that said, uh, we can definitely expect that the overall character, just like Sam said, of Northwestern's 2018 defense is going to be very similar to the character of the 2017 defense. Um, and that's much more good than bad, although there are still some issues in some key places. So first, and Sam alluded to it, Let's get this out of the way up front because maybe casual Northwestern fans or even Northwestern fans who have only kind of been slowly following where we've been getting to may not fully comprehend this yet. This is one of the best defensive lines in the Big Ten, if not the nation. Uh, honestly, I don't know how you ask for anything more from a front four without coming across as just a greedy SOB. So let's go through it, right? Do you want an alpha dog? We have one. His name's Joe Gaziano. Gastown! Gastown! I, I actually, I met him at meet, meet the Team Night. He's a monster of a man, but he's, he's nice. He's so sweet. Like, just <laughs> talking with my daughter, and it was Look, great, but Brian Lewerke would Brian Lewerke would disagree with you, but that's... Well, Brian Lewerke is not a two-year-old girl, so... <laughs> Show she's cuter than Brian Lewerke, too. Let's also very true. Right now. Amen. <laughs> 
Well said. Um, but, I mean, Gaz, he's going to make a run at Afadi Adenabo's freshly laid Northwestern career sack record. Um, and he's more than halfway there. He had nine sacks and 12 tackles for loss just last year. Um, and he's led the number the, one. Led, led the Big Ten. Oh. This, this is, uh, like, the most under, I don't know, the most undernoted thing ever of how good this D-line was and how good Gaziano was last year. Oh, I mean, and, and again, this is chapter one. Gaz is chapter one in the fat tome of the Northwestern defensive line. So if he's the alpha dog, do you also want an ascendant number two guy? Would you like a freshman All-America, for example? Because we have one of those, too. His name is Samdup Miller. Um, and he's another guy who seems like he's going to be after chasing uh, Gaz's stats as well. So that's just two guys. Do you also want another defensive end who would start for at least half of the defensive lines in the Big Ten? Because we have at least two of those. Because Trent Goins and Ernest Brown uh, are awesome and young, and they are both going to be heard from this year, even though neither of them is going to be starting at the beginning of the season. So now let's go inside, because Big Lanny's not around anymore, like Sam said, um, but there's still a lot there. Uh, how do you like your tackles? Do you like finesse tackles? Because we're going to have two really solid ones of those, in Jordan Thompson and Alex Miller, um, who combined, they combined for nine tackles for loss last year, working on the inside as part of that rotation with Tyler Lancaster. But maybe you don't like Miller and Thompson. Do you want fatties? Maybe you love the fatties. Well, Ben Oxley and Fred Wyatt weigh over 600 pounds combined. So we've got the beef inside as well. But, and again, this is almost kind of like flipping the narrative on, not flipping the narrative, but Scuzz was like, you know, when you talk about the defensive line, you've got to start by talking about Gaziano. Well, that's true. But here's the flip side. To me, maybe the most important thing of all is all the guys that I haven't even mentioned yet. Tommy Carnifax, Joe Spivak, Trevor Kent. Um, these Devin O'Rourke. De- yeah, Devin O'Rourke. These are all really well-regarded recruits who are all going to be fighting just to see time at all. Um, so this it's such a deep unit. It's talented. It's diverse. The, the unit is, you know, so like, yes, could this unit have been a little bit better at getting to the quarterback last year? Sure. But remember... All of the ends, even now, even including Gaztown, are young. Um, this group has not reached its pinnacle yet. Are we going to miss Lancaster in the middle? Sure. But there are plenty of young guys waiting to put their stamp on that spot in the middle. I'd say keep your eyes on Alex Miller and Trevor Kent in particular at that spot. Um, but again, I mean, that's the starting place, right? This is a stacked defensive line. It's taken three or four years to get here, but here we are. The thing I'm so excited about is what I expect will be the return of the Cheetah package. And if you if you recall, what, a couple years ago when Dean Lowry was a – I think we did, we did it when he was a junior as well, but predominantly was when he was a senior in clear passing situations, 
Lowry would move inside to one of the tackle positions. They'd bring on usually a Fadi Adenabo back in that case mm-hmm. uh, and bring just a vicious uh, attack uh, on the offensive line with Xavier Washington and Adenabo coming around the ends and then Lowry with the power up the middle. Joe Gaziano can absolutely do that exact same thing, and that allows you to bring an Ernest Brown or a Trent yeah, Jones like, on the field on like, third down, and that's nasty. Like four stars of Texas Cheetah. Just <laughs> just waiting to only play on third down. Yeah. Uh, the, I Sign mean, me up. Yeah, I'm in. You, you sold me. Yeah. So defensive line, just just stacked. I mean, that's the great news, right? Followed by some very good news um, because linebacker certainly isn't as deep as defensive line for the Cats. But when you only start three linebackers and two of them are Patty Fisher and Nate Hall, you don't flip and complain, okay? That was just last year, 192 tackles and 25 and a half tackles for loss combined. And let me tell you, I previewed all the defenses this year in the Big Ten. If you want to go looking for a better duo than that, you better go looking at Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Michigan, okay? Uh, Those two statistically were as good as it was in the Big Ten last year. Um, And if you're looking for a third banana, you could do a heck of a lot worse than Blake Gallagher, who actually played a bunch last year. He had 33 tackles. And again, former number one player in the state of Massachusetts. Let me just say for a second, two boys, how sad is it? What kind of defense could Boston College be putting together right now if we weren't stealing all of their players out of the state of Massachusetts? <laughs> uh, the Gallagher brothers. There's another Gallagher on the way. Gastown's from Massachusetts. But anyway, thank you. Thank you, Massachusetts. Um, but so Gallagher, again, big time Northeast recruit, played a bunch last year. He's your number three guy. Um, I would say, too, overall depth. Yeah, we don't go like three deep at linebacker the way we do at D-line, but we do have some real depth here. I would say the main guy to keep an eye on is Nathan Fox. So technically, Nathan Fox is the backup Mike linebacker, which means he's Patty's backup, but Patty's going to play like every play. So we're going to find ways to get Nathan Fox on the field. Remember, he, this is a kid who turned down Oregon to come to Northwestern and play linebacker. And he has a ton of potential and really barely scraped it last year. I think he had like 11 tackles. Um, he's going to play a lot. He's a real athlete. So you're going to see him on the field too. Um, it's also notable too um, that Pete McIntyre is already on the two deep as a redshirt freshman. Um if you want to, you know, circle a guy who could be a real Tyrell Sutton type, that's McIntyre. He's an Ohio guy, just like Sutton was. And by the way, you know, pour one out for Tyrell Sutton, who was carted off his Canadian football uh, league game last year, um, last week. Rough injury. But subtext to that is that Tyrell Sutton's still playing high-level professional football well into his 30s. Um, so, but anyway, if we remember... Tyrell Sutton was a guy who had tons of accolades in Ohio, yet didn't get the big offers. I think by the time he late picked up that OSU offer, that was well into the process, and he was well committed to Northwestern by that point. McIntyre's like that. So this was a guy super decorated in Ohio. Scout had him as the number one rated outside linebacker in Ohio coming out of high school. Um, And he had a bunch of in-state accolades in uh, Ohio and in football and, I think, track. And he still didn't get any of the offers from the big boys, the Ohio States and the Michigan. 
Um, and now it looks like he's just ready to jump on the field right away for us as a freshman. So again, that's five guys that are impact players. Yeah, we're not like nine deep at linebacker the way we are at defensive line, but this is a good group. And I'd, I'd imagine that early on, I mean, so Nate Hall is back from his ACL. I mean, it, I, I'm pretty sure he's gotten clearance to play. I'm not 100% on that, but uh, all indications are he'll be back. But my guess is that Fitz is going to try and limit his, his touches early uh, until mm-hmm. he's much like he's probably going to be limiting Thorson at first. Um, so, you know, you, you'd imagine that you're going to get really, you're going to get into the linebacker rotation pretty early on. We're going to see a lot of people, and especially with the new uh, redshirt rules where you can bring a true freshman in for four games and still give him a redshirt. Um, you know, the opportunities for some of these really young guys, true freshmen, uh, early, you know, you know, sophomores, what, whatnot, they'll be able to get in show what they can do and that could also influence the rotation as well well and two it's like lest i be guilty of burying the lead we have like one of the best four or five linebackers in the big 10 playing middle linebacker for us and he's an absolute tackle vacuum playing behind an ultra deep defensive line like it's not like any young linebacker who rotates in on the outside is going to have to shoulder the world. Like, Patty's got it. Like, just just do your part and it will be fine. Um, but it's funny, you mention um, the, the redshirt rules and the ability of some of these really young guys to play earlier because we're about to pivot to a place where that's going to be much more necessary. Um, and this, well, well, b- no, before we get there though, yeah, the other interesting thing to think about between the linebackers and the secondary is that last year we, and you alluded to it, John, we generally only played two linebackers on the field because we had such a plethora of talent at safety. Kyle Cairo was often the, the nickel, I mean, call him the nickel corner, but he was playing a hybrid linebacker safety role. Uh, and then you had uh, McGee and, and uh, Iguibuike in, in, in the deep backfield. I don't, I don't know that we have the horses in the secondary to do a ton of that or to do as much of that this year. I think we'll certainly see it, but it's I gonna wonder be... if we're going to see more three linebacker sets than we did the last two or three seasons. It's true. And if you look at a guy like Fox, he's a real athlete. Um, Chris Bergen's another guy who I haven't even mentioned who was like, you know, a safety linebacker hybrid coming out of high school. The Right. Like the question of who fills that remaining spot in a lot of these packages could be several of the linebackers. And it certainly could be uh, at least one specific guy that we're going to get to eventually <laughs> in the secondary. Um, so again, now, and I think, you know, for anyone's following the program, we're arriving at defensively the big question mark here, the secondary. Here's the thing, though. I think everyone is circling the wrong position group here uh, in the secondary when everyone talks about this aforementioned question mark. So, again, yes, this was the number 14 rated pass defense in the conference. And no, that certainly wasn't Kyle Cairo and Godwin Iguabuike's fault. Those guys combined for seven picks and 18 pass breakups last year, which are phenomenal numbers against the pass from a safety duo. And of course, they also had 139 tackles. But the thing we mainly remember, not just from last year, but from all 
eight years combined that these guys played at Northwestern is the impact plays, right? Like, both of these guys were in big, I mean, especially Cairo, um, were both in big moments. These guys were making big plays, big interceptions, big stops at big moments. And I don't want to sell Godwin short because obviously he was flipping amazing. Um, but these guys came up big when it mattered. So yes, the stats are there, but these guys were just gamers. I mentioned that for one key reason, right? So I'll ask the listeners at home, but I'll ask you guys too. If you just close your eyes or figuratively close your eyes and think back to last season, how much does it feel like J.R. Pace played last year? I mean, I felt like we got a really good read on him. He played exactly, a little right? bit at corner, and it, then he played a fair amount at safety while uh, Kira was injured. Right. It feels like he got some real run, right? Do you know how much he actually played? Not much. <laughs> well, I mean, 12 games. Oh, <laughs> but he was, I know uh, that was... I mean, he got in 12 games. But when you start counting up the amount of plays, yeah, it wasn't nearly as many plays as it felt like it was. Um, he was just... It's just that when he was on the field, he made his presence known. He had four tackles last year. But you know what? He had two interceptions. Uh, the guy shows up when he's on the field. He's a baller. It's a good time to remind everyone that Pace was a stud from Georgia who had offers from pretty much every mid-level Power 5 school on the whole East Coast, okay? He's ready to play. The only reason he didn't get on the field more last year is because we were just stacked at starting safety, and he still made his presence felt. That's what I mean. Feels like he played a ton. And that's because in the few moments he was on the field game to game, you felt his presence. Well, it's really going to feel like that this year. That kid is ready, which is funny because like he's like Mr. Flash. He's Mr. Excitement. And opposite him in the safeties is going to be Mr. Lunchpail, Jared McGee. Um, I mean, we're on this. We're on what? Year five of Jared McGee now. Are you guys worried about what we're going to get out of Jared McGee statistically? Not, Not particularly. particularly. No. no, no, neither am I. No one's worried about Jared McGee. You know what you're going to get from Jared McGee. He's going to bring it. Is he going to be Godwin? No. Is he going to be fine? Absolutely. We've all seen Jared McGee do just fine in plenty of big moments. He'll be a great starting safety. Um, I'm totally fine with both of these guys. I think Pace is going to ball out. The main issue with the safeties is that we don't have enough of them. Um, and we were blessed last year, and I mean, Scuzz talked about it a second ago, right, with what we were able to do in nickel situations, just because we were so stacked with depth at safety. Um, and this year, after Pace and after McGee, things get untested pretty quickly. You've got Bryce Jackson and Joe Bergen last there, uh, back there. Neither of those were huge recruits, and they have not played. Um, so... The new redshirt rules that Sam was alluding to earlier and Scuzz was alluding to are absolutely going to come into play, um, particularly with the safeties with Jeremiah McDonald, who, again, remember, he's a Louisiana kid. He turned down Ole Miss and others to come to Northwestern. Um, safety, he's going to play early for sure. Remember, these guys can get multiple full games, and we play multiple full meaningful games early on. Um, if depth is needed, um, first of all, there's a chance his red shirt may just get torched anyway, but certainly early on, 
you're going to see him play a lot while we figure out what we've got here and what we need back at the safeties. Um, but still, as it's constituted early on, as it's going to be constituted for snap one against Purdue, um, safety's not the area uh, that of worry that some people are making it out to be. Yeah, we're replacing two awesome safeties with two solid safeties. Um, things could be a lot worse than that. The same cannot be said for cornerback. Um, the reality here is we may be dealing with some unknowns at safety, but we are dealing with knowns at cornerback. What is known is that we have one good cornerback. His name's Montre Hardage, and he's great. He's far he, better. He, he might be our best player on defense overall. He's, I mean, he's great. Thank God. <laughs> he's far better than we ever could have expected he would be when he was recruited. He's a captain now. Um, and right, wait, right. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, okay. Uh, he's a captain now. Um, and he's our number one guy by a mile at cornerback, but we need to be honest and address the fact that number two corner, at least as things currently stand is our defense's glaring weakness. First of all, Trey Williams and Alonzo Mayo are not marquee guys. I mean, it's just, that's just the way things are. And Roderick Campbell, sadly, has just been bitten big time by the injury bug. So this is a group, number two corner, that has been and will continue to be picked on this year. Especially, as Scuzz has said many times, by large physical receivers. It has happened before. It's going to happen again. And if you're looking for an Achilles heel on the defense, this is it. Um, As we well know... Mike Hankowitz knows exactly where his bread is buttered here. There are going to be many, many downs where the wideouts probably have to like look around for a second to figure out who is actually covering them <laughs> pre-snap. <laughs> um, because yeah. old, old, old Mike, old rollback Magoo, he's going to just continue to call plays um, that roll the corners way off the ball and give that under that underneath stuff just away for free. Um, hope that the quarterbacks are missing um, and just let our pass defense bend and put more pressure um, on the short yardage rundowns um, and all that talent that we've got up front. And, it and, and it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned that, you know, and that kind of goes back to what you were saying about, you know, the pass defense being 14th in the country and it really, or in, in the, in the conference, but it really kind of, uh, you, you think about, you know, the Northwestern defense and they'll give you between the twenties, but they really lock down. It's like, if we're giving up field goals and not touchdowns and, you know, do whatever you want between the twenties, get into the red zone and we're going to lock it down. That that's kind of been the, you know, it's the bend, but don't break. And it's worked. We have the number, I mean, we had the number four run defense in the conference last year because of the front seven. So flipping good. I mean, right. It works. You can do it. You can do it this way. Um, and all, I mean, if you catch a quarterback who's not painting the numbers, um, that's enough. You know, that that's an easy day. You're playing a good quarterback. You're playing a Brian Lewerke and he decides to just throw for a million yards on you. Then you're going to be in a shootout. But it's, it's, it's the problem. Um, and with all of that said, okay, this, this number two cornerback issue that is going to be our bugaboo for a lot of the season – for all the listeners at home, if you don't know this or you've got your friend in the office who's like, tell me who the, you know, tell me about the guy that I ought to know about who I don't know about, Greg Newsom. 
true freshman. Uh, this is the X factor, okay? Mr. IMG Academy, Mr. Former, like one of the best defensive football players in the state of Illinois, um, true freshman. This kid is the real deal. Uh, cornerback, I mean, he's a cornerback safety. He's going to play corner for us. Um, he's the real deal, and he plays at a position of real need. He is going to get on the field right away. I mean, those red shirt rules be damned. You just put a put a blowtorch to this kid's red shirt right off the bat. He's going to be an impact player for us this year. He's going to get on the field right away. To Scuzz's earlier point, I think he's going to be your nickelback, if not right away, very, very soon. And he is going to breathe down Mayo and Williams' neck. Um, so if Newsom comes in and he's a stud right off the bat, that will be a massive upgrade to this defense overall because that's our one position of weakness. So again, it's this, that number two corner is the place, and you can even kind of see it in, in just a, a raw talent level. Like, we don't have another Hardage, but we might. And that's like the tantalizing part here. So, overall, this is a great defense. Awesome front seven. Uh, this is the D that's good where it, ha- where it counts. Has talent everywhere, except arguably at that number two corner position. If, a, if Greg Newsom or someone else blossoms early... This was a good defense last year, and it could take another big step forward. So we do need to talk about the offense. Um, you know, obviously, the, the big question at, that we've been discussing since the Music City Bowl is you know the health of Thorson's knee. Um, you know, Fitz is being very coy uh, to the point that you know in the two deep it's Thorson or TJ Green, and you know the backup is. You know Andrew Marty or Aiden Smith. So you know every every quarterback. You know with the you know exception of Hunter Johnson, who is not eligible, but every other quarterback is on the two deep. Um, Fitz is just trying to keep these guys from transferring. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll 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 get to that. Uh, but you know, so we're not going to know until game time whether Thorson is going to go or not. My gut feeling is he's going. Uh, as opposed to starting a, a walk-on quarterback on the road against Purdue, <laughs> I'm like this is like some like hard buying and overdoing of things. But but I digress. I don't know. We, I would like to think Thorson's going. I mean, the difference between past situations, uh, and and I namely mean the Dan Persa situation coming back for his senior year off of the Achilles injury is that Thorson has been practicing. He has been full speed. Ultimately, the team doctors are going to decide. Um, I think it's even, like, it's James Andrews. Yeah, but, like, based on seeing him, like, jump in the air and, you know, celebrate with his teammates, et cetera, et cetera, like, it, it feels like a pretty good bet. I don't know, though. Like, we'll we'll get to that. I'm going to be honest, guys. I just want to spend an inordinate amount of time talking about the offensive line. Let's do it. Let's get it. Uh. I think most of the other spots on the offense have been debated ad nauseum. Uh, Like a lot of the wide receivers, I think we know the key guys, same thing at running back. We'll get to all that. But the O-line to me is the most interesting thing for this team. And here's why. Last year, the three of us were simply incensed by the offensive line. And not because they played badly. 
Uh, they actually got a lot better during the year in both run and pass protection, but it was the insanity and the stubbornness of the coaching staff to move guys around willy-nilly every day in camp and up through the first four weeks of the season before they finally announced who the starting offensive line was going to be. And it was absurd. And once, once like, that happened, away and, once that happened, they won out. Yeah, like once we played the line that was good the year before, we were good. Yeah, it was it was a real shocking revelation. It was ridiculous. Um, I you know, we looked anemic on offense versus Nevada. We could do nothing against Duke. I thought I thought the offensive line was the primary culprit in both situations. There were certainly plenty of defensive issues in the Duke game with with uh, injuries and then ejections in the secondary. But regardless. Uh, O-line was at the root of the offensive is- offensive issues. Uh, JJ, I think we heard that he was maybe banged up a little bit, but we just we couldn't generate anything on the run. And then to compound the entire issue, Thorson tried to do everything himself. He was holding the ball way too long, and it just, everything fell apart. And in the end, to your point, John, four of the five guys we all thought would be starting back in June were starting in the positions that we thought they'd be starting in. And I just, I... I still don't understand why we pissed around for the first third of the season. It still makes me really angry. But despite all that, and this is my big point, is that once we locked in on that on that group of four plus Rashawn Slater, who, by the way, had just like an epic freshman year uh, for, for a tackle, the offensive line played pretty well. Northwestern had their best yards per rush since 2012. Uh, they didn't look particularly amazing uh, in some of the advanced stats. They're like in the third quartile of teams in S&P Plus, uh, and the adjusted line yards weren't great, both of these on uh, on running plays. But the running play success rate dramatically improved, and they had a top 40 stuff rate, i.e. they did not let our, our running backs get tackled in the backfield. Now, some of that is certainly to do with the talents of J.J. and uh, Jeremy Larkin, but you can't say that the line was bad uh, as the year progressed. And here's where I'm really going to blow your minds. In the passing game, the improvement is even more pronounced and is going to surprise you. So what if I told you that in 2017, Northwestern, Northwestern gave up the second fewest or the second lowest sack rate of the last 10 years? Yeah, I, I just remember reading something recently where someone was bemoaning the amount of sacks we were giving up. And I was like, you understand that like, some ridiculous number of those came in one game, right? Take out that one game. Weren't we pretty darn good? Even with that one game. So 2012 is the gold standard. And that's when Kane and Trev had defenses just reeling. Kane Coulter was so good at avoiding pressure. Uh, it was, it's the best year on record. We, we gave up only four point, uh, we gave up sacks on only 4.3% of dropbacks that year. Since then, and in the few years prior to that, and you gave up somewhere between seven and a half and ten percent of of passing dropbacks were sacks. Last year, it was only six point seven percent, and in conference, it was even a little bit bettered. And the game that you mentioned, John, is Wisconsin. We gave up eight sacks against Wisconsin. Take out the eight sacks and all the passing attempts in in Wisconsin, and it's down to five point two percent. That's fantastic. That's better than a lot of the Big Ten. It's better than Michigan. It's better than Nebraska. Um, it was outstanding. And the fact is, you look at the tackles, Rashawn Slater was spectacular as a freshman. 
Blake Hans had a major bounce back year. I think they also schemed effectively in using super backs and, and running backs to help protect him. Brad North had his best, best overall season. And the guards, the guards were the best pair that NU has probably seen since Ulrich and Ndukwe played in 2004. This year, uh, with the exception of North, everyone is back. Jerry Thomas fills in the center role. He was the seventh man for a lot of last year. Um, really, he was the first backup for everybody, but uh, Trey Clock was the sixth offensive lineman on the field in heavy packages. There's experienced depth. I mentioned Clock, Gunnar Vogel, Sam Garrick, Nick Urban. Uh, these guys were all a part of the um, the insanity last year in, in the in the spring and fall and first couple weeks of the season. Maybe Fitz and Cushing are being really cagey here, and they were just preparing for this season. Um, I'm being very facetious when I say that. <laughs> but the tackles being back is awesome because I think they can both work on building on, on last year's success. And most importantly is that we have two of the nastiest road-grading guards that Northwestern has ever fielded in Tommy Doles and J.B. Butler. And I want to tell you about my favorite thing to watch in this offense, and we're going to see it just over and over and over again this year. The best thing these guys do is when they pull the guards. Oh, sweet Jesus. Preach preach to me. Lead the convoy on outside tackle runs. And you you get to watch them just pancake the crap out of linebackers over and over again. And even better than that, is when they both pull on the same damn play. Get your DVR ready. Oh, get your cinema snacks. Sit just, back and just watch these two te- decimate our opponents on the outside. It is a joy to watch. If you can't wait for game day, just just pop in a tape of the Maryland game from last year with a cigarette and just 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 enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> I you know, here's the greatest thing though. We know who the starting five are. We don't have to F around like we did for the first three games of the year last year. And that's that continuity, that confidence, that the connection in that group. I think, um, I mean, obviously Thorson being able to play at QB is a massive upgrade for this offense. Uh, in, in my, in my modeling, the point spread on the Purdue game goes from NU by six to Purdue by two. If Thorson can't go, um, but the the O line is the the engine that makes everything else go, and when you think about our ability to just blast the edges of a defense with uh, with our our guard convoy, and and frankly Jerry Thomas is going to be perfectly good at pulling as well. We did a lot of that at center last year with Brad North. Think about us just beating a team up on the edges, and what that's going to do for the middle of the field. How it's going to open it up for Riley Lees and Flynn Nagel. Uh, and Cam Green from the super back position. I, I think this year, for the first time probably since 2012, we have the talent uh, on O-line and at the running back position with, with Jeremy Larkin and the speed and acceleration he possesses to really attack defenses through the run and open up the pass. I felt during a lot of, and this is not about J.J., is more about the O-line uh, and their ability to win the line of scrimmage. I felt like until the last half maybe of last season, we really relied on our quarterback setting the stage with short passes to the flats, um, keeping you know safeties and linebackers honest to open up the run game. I think we can do the opposite this year, and I think it plays so much more into how Mick McCall likes to run his offense. It's going to open up play action really, really effectively, and it's going to allow us to do all the things that he wants to do that I think 
he's been hampered by in the last three or four years. And by no means do I give Mick McCall a pass on his stupid play calls and weird trick things and in, in dumbed down in distance. But I, I think the landscape of the offense this year is much more in line with what he wants to do. And I think that, you know, when you get into a situation where you're running to set up the pass as opposed to passing to set up the run, that is even more beneficial to Thorson early on where you're not asking him to put the team on his back with his knee, maybe not a hundred percent. So, you know, to take the pressure off of him early while he gets back up to a hundred percent is going to be huge. Well, one other thing too, uh, I think just a couple of years ago, I think there was an expectation that Blake Hance was going to be the best guy on the line and then he didn't really deliver. And now I would say he's the fifth best guy on this line and he <laughs> and he is much better than the guy who was supposed to be the best guy on the line a couple of years ago, which is to say the line as a whole has gotten way better over that period of time. And it's funny to think you were talking about earlier, Scott, does part of me wish that Rashawn Slater was playing left tackle instead of Blake Hans? Yes, but they did the right thing. They were like, we're not messing with it. Stay, you stay over here, you stay over here, no more stupid musical chairs. The only other thing I'll say, Jared Thomas is going to be really good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't think people realize how good of a player he was. A little bit of Mike Kafka action. Guy plays as a freshman when he's not ready and in Thomas's position in Thomas's case, played way out of position at tackle. He's like a center slash guard. And he was played as a freshman at tackle, and it did not work. He's going to be a really good center, especially if you put him in the middle of the two beef eaters that Scuzz was talking about. This is like, this could be a good offensive line. So the interesting thing is that like what everyone is talking about is the wide receivers. And who is going to be the third guy alongside Skoranek and Nagel? Everyone's really excited about the potential return of Solomon Vault. People are talking about Jalen Brown. People are talking about Ramud. Uh, how do you wait? How do you say his last name? I think it's Chaka Bowman, but I'm not 100 okay, percent sure. I think it. Go. I I think it's the notorious RCB. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go there. Um, <laughs> Let me see if there's uh, a pronunciation guide. I'm just going to do that, Chaco. Um, there's uh, the guy that's actually listed on the depth chart right now, Ramud Chakao Bowman, or the notorious RCB, as he will uh, heretofore be known as. <laughs> um, there's, so uh, the the question that people have been talking about, and, and, and if there's a critique that Northwestern is getting in this preseason, it's around the explosiveness of their wide receivers and their perceived inability to stretch the field. And actually, I think that's a very legit criticism. Um, Skoranek is not a burner. He's not going to take the top off of defense. What he will do is pose an extremely difficult matchup for any cornerback uh, that is trying to cover him because of his size, but especially because of how good he is in the air. And he will catch, you know, a, a 25 to 35 yard pass probably every game this season because with the running game, with the play action, He's going to get one of these one-on-one matchups downfield, and he just has a, a, a great knack for adjusting himself mid-route, 
getting to the ball, elevating above the corner and coming down with it. That's our, that's effectively our deep threat. I don't think you're going to see vault or Lees or uh, I've heard JJ Jefferson. Who's a, who's a speedy freshman, Kyrick McGowan. Like everybody's talking about some of these guys that are in like the five, eight to five, 10 uh, height range and have a lot of speed as you know, that they're going to open up the defense vertically. I don't think it's going to happen, but what we do have in our, in our arsenal, in our receiver core is a lot of diversity. And that's key. If you listen to Mike Lombardi talk about team building as a GM in the NFL, you want to build your wide receiver core like you build your basketball team. You need your, your big physical guy uh, who, can, who can win battles. You need your speedy point guard that can come up over the slot. You need your, um, your power players that can block and catch. And we have all those things. Cam Green is going to, be, is going to just fit right in um, I, I don't think he'll ever be the type of, of dominant blocker that Garrett Dickerson was, but his pedigree as a wide receiver in high school and coming into college, the guy's a natural pass catcher, uh, and he's got the body to just dominate people in that space. I already talked about Skoranek and his ability to do things downfield. Flynn Nagel is your classic third down slot receiver. Um, possession receiver is a term you've heard in the past. I think it'll be really interesting what happens at the third spot. I don't, I see a lot of the, the speedy short players that I talked about a minute ago as effectively backing up Flynn Nagel. I would expect someone like RCB or um, maybe Jalen Brown. If he's healthy, it seems like he's probably not uh, potentially a Charlie Fessler. These guys that have some size, they're not, you know, really big players, but have some size can, can block and catch and not telegraph what NU's trying to do in formations. I think that's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. But the point is, is we have diversity across this group of receivers, and we can use our formations to find ways to get them open. One of the really interesting things I heard talked about uh, going into the season, two kind of quick scheme things. So first of all, you saw Northwestern do tons and tons of unbalanced sets last year. Uh, Guys lined up in trips, uh, even you even would have four receivers to one side of the formation sometimes. A lot of the reason for that is because we don't have ultra-athletic, fast receivers, our guys aren't going to beat corners off the line. If we're getting press coverage, the way to beat that for Northwestern's receiver core is to put some guys in a trip set. And then coming out of the formation, people are running in different directions. It gives them the option to get free and start getting downfield. You're going to see a ton of that again this season. The other thing I want to mention is RPOs, because everyone is everyone is talking nonstop about RPOs uh, after what Philadelphia did to New England in the in the Super Bowl last year, and it's been a I mean this has been a thing in college for years now. Uh, Auburn when they won uh, with Cam Newton a few years ago, this was a big a big part of their offense. I th- I think it's a little overblown at this stage, and I don't I don't think Northwestern has a ton of that stuff in the playbook. I think we do much more at, at, you know, checking at the line, looking at what the defense is offering, um, being able to allow Thorson to make those decisions. I don't think he's usually making those decisions in flight. But the reality is, is play action and RPO are effectively the same thing in terms of like an outcome standpoint. Like you, like if, if a quarterback fakes a handoff and drops back to pass, you don't know what the play call was ahead of time. And whether he's checking at that at, that, at the line based on his read or making that decision 
reading the defensive end on the second step of the play. I don't think it matters that much if you've got the execution right. There's plenty of passing concepts, Y-stick, other things in the air raid that you can use to stretch defenses and isolate players and react to what they're doing and beat them every single time. And I think with the improvement on the O-line, the diversity of talent we have in our in our weaponry, and the potential talent of Thorson as a measured talented QB, I think we can be in really, really great shape. It's funny. You make the good point earlier too about, I don't know, like this idea of chasing the brass ring of like a, you know, you've got Kyrick McGowan, Berkeley home and JJ Jefferson, just these burners, right? Um, They're all kind of similar age, similar mold of a guy. And we've all been caught in the past of like chasing being like, all right, who, which one of them's finally going to give us that field stretching burner. And you make a great point. It's like, don't chase, like, don't go chasing waterfalls, okay? Like, you've got to, like, when we've had success with wideouts, it's been guys who caught everything that was thrown at them. And then, and like you said, we scheme those guys open and then make all the catches. And it's like an Austin Carr, a Macon Wilson, guy like guys like that, right? And, I mean, it's possible, like, I, I kind of feel like, if a guy like a McGowan or a, or a Holman separates himself, it's going to be because he turns into another Jeremy Ebert, where it's like, this guy will make the catches. And yeah, he'll give you some yak, but it's like, like you're saying, there's a lot of different looks of guys. If the common thread, and it, it certainly is with Skoranek and Nagel, is that they catch the balls you put out there for them, um, then yeah, like the, the hope will probably be like to right, favorable running, run into favorable situations and then scheme these guys open. Last thing to note on the offense is TJ Green. I think it's I think it's very possible. I think there's a 35% chance that TJ plays in the Purdue game. I think there's a 90% chance that if he is really the backup QB for the year that he plays at some point during the year. Oh yes. <laughs> um, here so we all know he's Trent Green's kid. He is known as uh, known to have a very very good football IQ you know, be great at reading the field. Uh, he hasn't, we haven't seen him in game time. So we don't, we don't know that for a fact. We don't know how quick his decision-making skills are. All those things on paper look great for him. Um, arm strength and accuracy are the, the other two questions. Interestingly, coming out of high school. So he was a walk-on at Northwestern. He had two offers, North Dakota State um, and Pennsylvania. NDSU, no slouch when it comes to recruiting quarterbacks. I'm just going to throw that out there. But he also had uh, interest. He was being actively recruited by both Nebraska and Stanford, uh, not for, not for a scholarship, but for a walk-on position. And I, you know, with 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 TJ Green, he was. I'm pretty sure he was a preferred walk-on, meaning that um, he he could have qualified for scholarships, but. Like basically per, had the per, money that it wasn't a problem. So per, preferred walk on like Nebraska would really prefer that he was on their team right about now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know all the preferred walk on like designations and stuff, but yeah, I mean, Nebraska is desperate for, for anyone uh, who looks like a quarterback right now. But point being TJ green is not just some dude that showed up on, on uh, the first day of school and say, Hey, I'd li- I'd like to join the football team. Um, and I, I'm excited 
that he got the 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 role. I actually kind of liked the idea of handing the keys to him more than one of the the totally unproven guys. Get it, given how strong this team is across the board and what they could potentially do this year, and and I think we all believe that they there's a path that they could challenge for the West. Um, obviously it goes through Wisconsin, but I, I like the idea of setting up TJ given his um, leadership and uh, I, I'd say presumed leadership as an upperclassman and, uh, and his football IQ to, to be the guy that holds the reins if, uh, if Clayton needs it. So, you know, we, have our game against Purdue and, you know, we've talked about Purdue in our previous uh, preview podcast. And I don't know that there's a ton more to get into just on this game. Um, You know, we've alluded to a lot of what we're going to be looking for. Is there anything else uh, just before we kind of talk about what what else is going on in the big 10 for week one, anything else on the, on this Purdue game that we really need to keep our eyes open for? I said it before, but Purdue's gonna Purdue's gonna make you throw to beat them. There, this is what Purdue did last year. Purdue is going to try to sell out against the run. Um, they had you know a middling level of success doing that against Northwestern last year. More success against other teams. Um, it was their surprise move last year. It was a risky move. It worked. It's going to be nighttime in a raucous home crowd. They're going to bring pressure. They're going to roll up the corners. They're going to try to make us beat them, give up some potential big plays, but they're going to try to stop the run. So you talk about scheming guys open, getting guys in space. You run a couple rub routes, get a guy like Nagel. That's going to be there. So if you're looking for big plays, it's going to be there because it's not like Purdue has great corners. They don't. And they're going to be pressing and trying to stop the run first. So it's like you scheme a guy like Nagel into space, he's going to be off and running. That's going to be there. It's just going to be on, you know, the quarterback, I assume Thorson, uh, making those connections. Well, and we talked about in our, our preview of Purdue just the, the losses on defense that they had and how stunning their defensive performance was last year. They need to do more with their offense this year. And I think it, it comes down to a giant question mark at QB. Like Elijah Sindelar and David Blow are known commodities. And if you take the best of each of them and combine it, the arm strength of Sindelar, uh, the decision makings of Sindelar, and the accuracy of Blau, you've got a pretty spectacular QB. But independently, I mean, Blau's a little bit faster, but this is not like a thunder and lightning type situation where you have your your guy that can stretch defenses with his legs and then your guy that can that can throw deep bombs like you've got an inaccurate big-armed immobile QB and you've got an accurate somewhat mobile QB that throws a ton of picks like it, it's there's just there's not a recipe there for for an awesome Purdue offense there's not a recipe there for the Jeff Brome type of offense like certainly second year in the system they might be running more uh, of his schemes a couple other interesting notes. Um, Terry O'Fuller, who is one of one of the potential starting running backs, uh, Markel Jones being the other the other likely guy. Fuller's been battling a foot injury in camp. Richie Warship, their gargantuan uh, running back slash fullback, who, who picked up like 300 yards and a handful of, led the team in, in rushing touchdowns last year. He's out for the season with an injury, so they've got some questions in the backfield. 
everybody who's previewing this game says they think that both Sindelar and Blau will pl- or Blow will play. I don't know. My my guess is that um, Brome has landed on one of these guys. He's seen them enough. Uh, they both got game time last year due to injuries. He chose to go with Sindelar in the bowl game, and that worked. I think we're going to see Elijah Sindelar starting this game, and they're going to they're going to go gunslinger on us and see if they can pull it off. Um, he's going to throw a ton. He's going to be inaccurate at times, but he's probably going to hit some big plays. I like the ability of our offense to run the ball, control the clock, keep them off the field. I think that's how we're going to win this game. Brom is playing it very close to the vest, uh, has both Sindelar and Blau listed as and on the first string with a big or. Um, so, you know, he's, we're playing it close to the vest. They're playing it close to the vest. You know, the, the gamesmanship has already begun. And I can guarantee, regardless of which quarterback it is, based on everything Scuzz has laid out, Hankowitz knows exactly how he's going to play this. We can take away their ability to run the ball. So that's what we're going to do. And then make them nibble us to death throwing the ball. And he's going to be like, if, if, if they have to throw five yards a pop all the way down the field every time, Eventually, Sindelar is going to start missing receivers, and eventually Blau is going to throw picks. And if either of those things happen, we win. So it's like it's going to count on one of those guys to be pinpoint accurate. But if you're waiting for like us to just be bringing pressure like bananas, well, if if the defensive line, if the front four is getting legit pressure, well, then it's just game over. We just win easily. Um, and that may happen. But more likely, they'll get good but not great pressure. Um take away Purdue's ability to run, and then we'll see what the quarterbacks can do. Um, But again, it's like, you know, it's not like either of these guys has this great record of just laser accuracy. So um, I think, but again, it's like, be patient, guys, because like, Hankwitz is going to wait, he's going to take away the run, and then he's going to see what these guys have in the tank, and then adjust as necessary. All right, I just want to rapid fire through the uh, through the Big Ten, you know, just kind of running through the, the schedule. Um, there are some you know big news and notes on a number of the different Big Ten teams. Let's just hit that as we go. Uh, also on Thursday night, you got Minnesota hosting New Mexico State. Anything to mention on that? I don't think so. <laughs> no. Friday, Utah State at Michigan State and Western Kentucky at Wisconsin. Oof. Oof. Blood bad for those two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Saturday, you've got Oregon State at Ohio State. Um, you know, obviously the the tire fire that it's going on in Columbus, you know, just continues to burn. Uh, Urban oh. Meyer suspended for the first three games. Ohio State could win that game with their redshirt freshman. Um, and yeah, that place is. Uh, it's. I mean, that's going to be an oh, angry. Oh, that's that's God. that's going to be an angry, stupid crowd, and Oregon State's going to get fed to the Lions. I yeah. I have. Um, I don't know that I had a lot of respect for Urban Meyer, but what there was has definitely been flushed down the toilet. Um, we can come back to that in another time when we have we have time to rant and rave. But uh, just. <sighs> I'll probably should he 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 should have been canned based on what's in that report. He really should have been canned, because um, either a 
he was willfully ignorant or B he's taking so much memory modification medicine that he sure as shit shouldn't be coaching football games. I'll, I'll say this because you are right. We don't want to go down this rabbit hole too deep. Uh, I encourage anyone to go listen to uh, Bill Simmons recent podcast with Mark Titus. uh, And you can hear, you can listen to an Ohio state alum, just, just deep in deep, deep depression about, uh, about the situation at Ohio State. And, and not to use the word depression, cause Mark Titus in the same podcast actually talks about his battle with depression. Um, so poor choice of words by me, but let's just say, uh, for those, those Ohio State fans who are actually Ohio State alums, a lot of them are in a pretty dark place about the way the non-alums have been acting about all of this stuff. You mean 95% of Ohio <laughs> yes, State fans? Exactly. And right. Titus said as much. Yes. Um, we, you know, speaking of tire fires and coaches who, you know, probably will be canned, uh, you got Texas at Maryland. Um, DJ Durkin does not coach another game for Maryland, right? Oh, maybe, maybe not for anybody. Yeah. As a head coach. Yeah. No. Um, I mean, and it's like separate from all the other garbage, the latest stuff to come down the chute about him potentially being the one, at least according to the lawyer, who hired this lawyer with university funds to de- to defend the players against sexual assault? I mean, ugh, just Maryland was not in a good place this season already, and I yes, uh, Texas is Texas is is coming to. It's time to pay the price, Maryland. Texas is first up to bat. <laughs> Texas is a thirteen and a half point favorite. <laughs> That's I, w- I would I would bet on Texas if I was going to bet anything on that. Um, you got Kent State at Illinois, Texas State at Rutgers. How, oh, how, sorry. How good is how good is Kent State? We debated this on our yeah, Illinois preview. Not, not good. And I mean, but I mean, this is great. I mean, it, this is this is a big game. Illinois got a shot for fifty percent of their wins right here if they could really put it together. Um, it's great. Their two game season starts right here. Go, 16, oh, go get them, Illinois. Sixteen and a half point favorites. Yeah, Ooh, Kent Kent State looks like they're going to be awful. Oh, hot, I mean, hot, Ken, hot garbage. garbage. Ken State is Ken State is the cure for what the doctor ordered for Illinois. So I mean, Wait Illinois a... fans, j- just enjoy it, enjoy it. Just Wait, they have an the... Auburn transfer at QB. <laughs> just hold, hold. not so fast, my friends. Don't don't make Scuzz go get the Western Illinois notes again. <laughs> Woody, Woody Barrett, uh, a top thirty QB recruit. In 2015, he redshirted at Auburn in 2016 and then went to JUCO, uh, was okay at JUCO. I don't know, guys. I don't know. Uh, just, uh, I mean, I, I don't, nothing is impossible. It, could Illinois go winless this season? Yes, they could. So, I mean, Kent State is not out of it. Go Kent State. <laughs> uh, you got Texas State at Rutgers. Just whatever we, everything we just said, just rewind it, play it again. Let's just move on. All right. Um, uh, hold on to your credit cards if you're he- heading to that game. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, <laughs> Appalachian State at Penn State. Penn State a 23.5 point favorite. I'm really interested to see what Penn State looks like in the uh, the post-Moorhead era. I've I've gone on the record many times. as uh, like I don't think much of James Franklin as a coach. I think he recruits really well. I think he's he's done a really good job program building for uh, for Vanderbilt and Penn State. But his game day routine, the preparation of his players, his quarterbacks in particular, 
I mean, Trace McSorley is the only one. Um, and what's different from everybody else is that Trace McSorley had like the hottest offensive coordinator coach uh, on the market for two seasons. I I think Penn State is due for a major regression on offense. I think McSorley will still be good. They have tons of talent. I think there's questions on the O-line. There's no Saquon Barkley anymore. They think they've got a freshman that's going to step into his shoes. That freshman might be good, but I'm sorry. That's that's a tall order. Uh, I There's no way. I'm not suggesting that I think Penn State loses this game. I'd be very surprised if they cover that spread uh, comfortably. And I, I'm... I'm probably more interested in this game than than any other non-Northwestern game in week one um, just because of the potential ramifications down the road. Well, I mean, the thing to remember, though, is Penn State made its name last year just annihilating the weak part of its schedule. So just App State, like, get ready for, like, App State to get blanked in this game and then everyone to talk about how good Penn State's defense is and have, and that won't mean anything. Uh, we talked about Northern Illinois, Iowa. How that game could be a little could be a little tricky for for Iowa. I, I don't want to dive too deep into that because we do need to talk about uh, Indiana as they uh, head down to Miami to take on Florida International with who at quarterback? Peyton Ramsey. <laughs> very, very, very interesting. We talked in the preview that um, Ramsey was you know a, re- a, a reasonable recruit um he was pretty good in limited limited play i guess i guess he played almost half the season last year but he had a pretty good completion percentage uh good td to pick ratio but he played in the back half of the season against some of the weaker competition um i thought surely that brandon dawkins was going to win this job just based on his talent but he also might not have been the right type of player. Um, Ramsey's more of a pro-style QB. Dawkins was more dual threat. So we'll see. It's an interesting choice from Indiana. The scary thing is they lost Brandon Dawkins. He decided to transfer when he didn't get the role. But put put, unlike, a, pin, put a pin in that. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. <laughs> well, unlike another uh, another team in a similar situation, Indiana does have another really good backup QB in freshman Michael Penix. Uh, he was a, a pretty highly rated recruit similar in in stature and uh an approach to ramsey so i think you know they're going to be young and inconsistent probably but not in in dire straits and and who's and who's ramsey handing off to again <laughs> oh yeah morgan ellison their running back got suspended for or is he gone did he get kicked he's, off the team uh, he's gone he got he yeah. gone <laughs> yeah that's a problem uh, that's a problem because he he was their leading rusher by far last year. Six TDs, uh, an average of of almost five yards per carry. So they're going to turn it over to um, I, probably running back by committee. They don't they don't have anyone who looks great. Ronnie Walker is uh, probably their second highest incoming recruit. So it might be a very young backfield in, in Indiana by year's end. Walker could be could be interesting. I think he, he might have some pretty dinner plate sized eyes uh in the first couple weeks it used to be that playing fau and playing fiu was like indistinguishable and now it's like oh thank god indiana's not playing fau (laughs) they get smoked (laughs) uh the highest profile game at least on the week one docket you got michigan at notre dame shea patterson is the starting quarterback at michigan like we all knew he was he would be um notre dame's favored by a point in that one i'm Definitely interested in watching that game for sure. 
seeing as we play both of those teams this year. Gosh, I will be at a wedding rehearsal dinner at that time and uh, very much wishing. I will be watching a lot of tape on this one for sure. Yeah, it is. I mean, I if you make me pick, I'd be like, take Michigan with a point. Sounds good to me. Um, I just feel like Michigan is the better team in most phases, but that's two good football teams right off the bat. I mean, that's just that's just great. It's just great football. Nobody without a stake in this game has an opinion that is anywhere similar to mine. And that's in my gut. I just feel like Michigan's going to stomp them. We talked about Notre Dame's offense and all the turnover and all the change and the inconsistency and lack of confidence in the quarterbacks. Well, Brandon sp- Wimbush. Speaking of which they did officially name Wimbush as the starter. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm smart. Uh, I think they, they learned their lesson with the Deshaun Kaiser, um, Malik Zaire disaster a couple of years ago. I think you, 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 you can't not give that job to Wimbush um, unless he's injured for some reason or has just completely turned into a malcontent. But I just, there's no, there's no evidence to suggest that he can be effective throwing the ball. Michigan's defense is going to be the toughest thing he's seen. I mean, I guess he, he was okay against Georgia, um, at the beginning of last season, but there's been so much tape on him since then in terms of like how to bottle him up. Georgia bottled him up pretty effectively. And without Josh Adams, without the guys on their O-line, like there's just so many moving parts on that Mich- offense. Michigan's defense is as good as Georgia's defense, if not better. That's how and, good Michigan's defense is. And the thing that we've been, t- that we've been talking about all off season is the question, if Shea Patterson's eligible, that's, that's the best quarterback anybody on Michigan's offense has played with at Michigan. And, (laughs) and frankly, it's probably the best collection of talent on offense that Shea Patterson's ever played with. So assuming that those guys are in sync, that's, that's really formidable. And uh, the last game in the big 10, another game featuring two teams that we play Akron at Nebraska. Tune in early, tune in early for that one, because I think Akron actually presents Scott Frost with the national championship trophy at the beginning of the game. I think ESPN (laughs) has sanctioned it. I think Nebraska gets to be national champions and and they just give them the trophy at the beginning of the year, I think. Champions of life. Yeah, exactly. Champions is something, but certainly not not any depth of quarterback. Pray for Adrian Martinez, people. True freshman. Adrian Martinez named the starter, and he is the only scholarship quarterback on Nebraska right now. And he's going to carry the ball twenty-five times a game. I, this is a disaster. I, 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 I'm just apoplectic that people think this team is going to be good at football this year. I, we have done so much research on this team. It's a bad football team. Uh, will they beat Akron? Yes. Is it start to get very Illinois-y after that? Oh, yes, it does. But reading something where, I don't know, who was it, like Herb Street or someone was like, yeah, and they'll finish up with, you know, they'll beat Iowa and like Michigan State to close things out or whatever it was. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, Martinez is going to be dead by then. <laughs> in, ad- in addition to the quarterback problem, Trey Bryant, who was their best running back on last year's team statistically, he was injured for part of the year. He's retired. Uh, he just he, he decided he had to leave the game because of, of injuries. They did bring in a guy from JUCO and Greg Bell, who is, you know, reasonable. Um, he was he was reasonable. He was really good in JUCO. Like, 
he he looks the part, but you just don't know. Um, I I just I think this is like a, a disaster on wheels. We, um, we 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 talked a ton about what Frost did at, at Florida at Central Florida. He's going to play a lot of young guys. He's building for next year. He he's not worried about wins this season. Uh, I think people will wake up pretty quick. Uh, just to kind of you know elaborate on what the quarter what happened to quarterback. You know, Martinez was named starter, and then Tristan Gebbia decided to transfer. He didn't win the job, and he's like, "F this, I'm out. Take my ball and go home." Yeah. Should have used an oar, Frost. Should have used an oar. <laughs> <laughs> I let me just say, as someone who at least once a week watches clips of last year's NIU Nebraska game, if this game is at all close late in the game, I'm stepping out of that rehearsal dinner and I'm finding a TV. Uh, Mac teams winning at Nebraska will never not be amazing. So well, go the, Akron. The game's on Fox, so you know if you have the Fox Sports app, you should just be able to. Just you know, have it under the table, kind of you know, sound <laughs> I, down. I will be that guy in the commercial that is doing that thing at the wedding. That will be me. <laughs> um, you know, so Northwestern at Purdue Thursday night. Uh, right now, Purdue's favored by one. Um, you know, because you mentioned earlier, uh, the the Scuzz model, you know, varies pretty widely on whether Thorson plays or not. But I guess Vegas is kind of hedging on that and thinks that uh, they won't but it w- it was Purdue by three uh three days ago okay so you know definitely moving towards uh towards northwestern on that um but yeah i mean it, it's game week it's it's the next time we talk there will be games played uh, well i mean there have been games played um you know if you count the week zero if you will uh hawaii beating the tar out of colorado state with That's some, a big win with, for them. With, with some dope ass helmets. Did you see that? What they had on their helmets? It was just the state, it was the you know area map of Hawaii on Sweet. their helmets. It looked so good. Sweet, good for them. Now they they're gonna get probably run over by Navy next week. But but good start, Hawaii. So yeah, next week we'll come back. We'll uh, break down the Northwestern Purdue game. Start looking ahead to Duke. Um, you know, actually be able to talk about some results. Uh, so I guess we're just going to go ahead and leave it there for this week. Uh, you can head to our website westlotpirates.com to leave comments and questions. Uh, find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter at Westlot Pirates. You can call our voicemail line eight four seven two three one two two eight seven. That's eight four seven two three one cats. And email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the Westlot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.